Hey everybody, welcome to Limit Up Podcast. I am Dan Hodgman uh, in a new location, sitting out with Jack Pelton. Jack, how are you? I'm in the same location, doing just fine. How you been, Dan? Well, you know, I can't complain. It's my first day of work this week. Had a nice 4th of July. I uh, found a new place to live, um, eventually. Still working our way there, so... I'll be doing a little traveling over the next uh, the next month or so. Well deserved. That'll be nice. And you know, uh, when we get to the main topic today, gas is a little cheaper, right? I think I saw twenty-two straight uh, sessions or something down in the gasoline futures. So that's interesting. I'll tell you, Jack. I filled my truck yesterday, four seventy-nine a gallon. It was a hundred and hundred and twenty dollars or so. Next, I thought you were getting rid of that thing. Never. I'll never get rid of that truck. I love that thing too much. But I was driving, and I went about a half hour away from here. And as I was driving, I was just watching them out lowering prices at the pumps. That by the time I got a half hour away, um, it was down to four forty nine a gallon. And I was so angry. I was like, gosh, I could have saved 30 cents a gallon. And then Timing's everything. Math. You made a bad oil trade. It was the same thing I we did. were talking before we started. I came back from uh, Ireland with like 50 euro in my pocket. And it's now worth a uh, 49 and change. So that was a bad yeah. FX trade I made. Yeah, no kidding. Cool. Well, um, well, let's kind of give, get a quick run through in these markets here today. Obviously, earlier this week, we saw crude oil with the big dip uh, below $100 a barrel. That did not last last night. Uh, that market up opened up this morning right under 100 bucks, And uh, we saw a strong rally up to 104 with a little bit of sell-off here to end the day. You have the S&P 500. Uh, and we're Jack and I, we're going to talk a lot about oil today. I'm excited about it. Um, S&P 500 on track for its biggest winning streak of the year, four straight days, uh, with a really just a nice, strong trend to the upside. Nothing aggressive. Um, you're looking for those dips. Buy the dip um, on that market, trending higher like that. And the same principle applies for the NASDAQ. We could sit here and talk uh, what happened in the gold charts, but there's really nothing to say. Uh, we'll talk more about that as we go, but uh, gold flatlined um, all day long since last night, since the close yesterday. Yeah, and about the uh, S&P, too, we're within striking distance of, uh, we're back above 3,900, so within striking distance of the 50-day moving average I have at uh, 3,974, and above that, 4,000, where Dan will owe me $5, should it happen. So long it's an important go, level Jack. there. Very long way to go. We'll see what happens. Uh, four straight positive days. Does that mean we're going to see a negative one tomorrow? Break it all the way down to 3500 3, and <laughs> God, give me five not. bucks? If it breaks down to 3500 tomorrow, we got bigger problems than my $5. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, maybe your euro will do better. And then uh, we talked about euro. And then lastly, notes. Uh, continue to trend lower. lower. No surprise there. Um, yields are up. Notes are down. So. Uh, some opportunity in these markets as we uh, wind down the holiday week. Yeah, we hardly talked today. You were talking Euro. Um, there was the uh, leaving this morning of a guy who certainly wasn't a Euro fan, and Boris Johnson resigned. I have some big news this morning, and the markets have been quiet relatively around that, but I got about 9,000 notifications on my phone starting like 6 o'clock this morning that he's resigning. It was a long time coming at this point. You know, There was some, the guy's a little bit... Uh, Teflon sometimes, but you can only hold out so long. Uh, I'm not really sure this will change much. That's exactly why you don't see markets responding. I don't know exactly what this changes from an FX standpoint, etc. We'll have to see who the next person is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Jack, let's talk oil, huh? I uh, thought today would be a good time because 
you know, the story of the year. Well, the main story of this year has been the conflict, the, the war in Ukraine, right? Inflation, all these things affect oil. Oil's been shot the highs we haven't seen since 2008. Highs around 130 bucks a barrel. But for the first time, really since before the war in the Ukraine, Ukraine, is we've seen it sell off quite a bit. That's what we were talking about, the gas prices there, where I think that stat I quoted is true, where something like 22 straight days of uh, gasoline futures going down. So the question now is, where are we going to kind of find an equilibrium here? Because you have the two main forces going against uh, each other here, which is shortage of supply because of Russia doing their stupid S. And um, on the other hand, you have demand reduction because of a possible recession. Now, the reason I think, the main reason we saw oil jump a little bit today, I mean a little bit, it's all relative, it was a pretty big jump, is that I believe uh, China announced some pretty aggressive stimulus and that kind of leads to them buying more oil. As we say in economics, demand goes up, price goes up if supply is held the same. So that's kind of where we are right now. I'm interested, Dan, you have a little more experience looking at these oil charts, kind of what you've been seeing over the past you know, month or so. So from a charting perspective, there's really not much to talk about. I mean, it, it's been volatile. It's been out of control. It has, you know, and here's my biggest issue is there's a lot of information out there regarding the oil market, um, and it's relatively politicized. So you're only going to hear the side that you want to hear. Um, in regards to what's happening there, as opposed to actually looking at, you know, factual evidence about what's going on. Um, so when I look at these charts right now, I, we're obviously in a downtrend from where we were. I don't still think, I still don't believe oil is in a tradable position from a short time frame. You looked at this morning market opened up in an hour, hour and a half, rallies $4 relatively quickly. Those are frightening moves from a trading standpoint looking at these charts. So that's number one. If you're coming out and you're going to trade oil, I just have to say, be cautious, be timid. Minimal contract sizing. To see a market be able to move $4,000 a contract in an hour and a half uh, like the oil has been doing, that's big, big numbers. You know, you go back to, let's go back to Tuesday the other day. That market opened up right around $109 a barrel and broke all the way down to $98 a barrel. So you got a $10 move in a regular trading hour session. That's massive amounts of movement. And I know most traders out there, you come in on the open, market opens up below settlement price. The initial instinct is, let's see, do we get a move to settles? Well, it made an attempt off the open. We saw a little bit of a pop. And how many traders came in, saw that little bit of a pop and said, hey, here's my chance. Let's see if we can get rotation back to closing the gap to the upside. When that happens, you have to be quick to shut down your bias, get out of that position, and look for the next opportunity or call it a day. So that's really what I'm seeing here in these charts right now. It's not the most uh, effective trading when you look at markets that are moving this much. Longer term, it's been much more interesting. I was just going back on my long-term chart here and seeing that you talk about uh, the golden cross. We talk about like the 50 and 200 day moving averages. When the 50 day breaks above it, the 50 day moving average broke the 200 day moving average in the oil future back on September 4th and of the year 2020 and has been above it ever since and does not look to be going below anytime soon. With that being said though, we are not so much after to jump today, but so we test the low of around uh, 95 I'm seeing yesterday in oil. 
Mm-hmm. We're getting kind of close to where that 200-day moving average is, which I have at like 92.50 right now or thereabouts. That could be interesting because it's been above that, the 200-day average, all the way since December, late December of 2021. So it's been above there the whole time, and that was a pretty good, if you look at the longer-term trend, it's really kind of bounced off of that or consolidated and kept on going. So there's going to be strong resistance there, I think. But once again, I think that you're right. If we're talking short-term trades, this stuff is too volatile and news sensitive for me to really feel feel comfortable about getting in there and making trades on uh, an intraday timeline. I yeah, Jack, I'm glad you brought up the higher time frame because we're starting to get some sort of visual. We're starting to see where this market's going. I do have a number of points of contact on the high side of my channel. Yes, I will bring up my channels. I love them. They have been my biggest guide when trading. Um, I've got a nice channel to the downside that this market really is staying inside of. So even little pops like today are not telling me, hey, look for rotation to the upside just yet. Big, 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 big picture over the last year, for sure. We're in a trend higher. In the last two years, we're trending higher without a doubt, or year and a half, I should say. But here, as of recent, in the last uh, month, month and a half, we've started to see the downturn. And this market is starting to trend lower, and we're in a really nice channel to the downside. So just like short time frame trading, when you look at the higher time frame charts, you want to get an idea of where those extremes are because it's very easy when you look at short time frame to say, hey, we're rotating, look for moves higher. Well, we may see some move higher until we start to hit that high side of a channel or we start to hit where those high sides of that trend to the downside really are going to be. And you have to be cautious of that. And so and the same on the flip side to the downside, you're not selling it all the way. There are still buying opportunities within a downtrend on those longer time and frames. Personally, as someone who's not an oil trader, and maybe this is part of the reason I stay out, is when you're talking channels on oil, I think that for me, there's just less confidence in a commodity staying within them or, or having confidence in those levels that you set. Because with the markets, like the S&P 500 or something, you're not going to see the same rip um, outside of it, like when you talk about the high side of your oil channel, I'm never going to feel very confident being short oil at the high of a scale because it's something that can, I know can go parabolic in a way that the S, let's be frank, the S&P 500 isn't like we're mm -hmm. unlikely to see a 10% move. It's pretty usual now to see that in oil. You're not going to see a 10% move to the upside real quick in the S&P 500. I wish you're not. You're really yeah. well. And that uh, it's a good point to bring up Jack too, because Unlike S&P 500, something like the oil, which you have committees that every week are coming out and saying how much more supply they're going to put out or they're going to take back, right? You've got API and EIA every single week that's saying, hey, we're going to increase supply or we're going to decrease supply. That can have, I don't want to use the term manipulative or manipulation because that's not the point, um, but it can have a an effect on the market as such the effect is the same i mean to me yes. manipulation suggests that you're somehow profiting off of it right and i don't that's why i didn't want to use the term but the effects are the exact same the conditions can change very quickly there's a lot of things you know when you think about the cpi or unemployment numbers or the fed those are the things off the top of my head that we all know when they are and they'll really move the markets there's a lot of those for oil and also the We've talked before. There's also the, uh, I will say, manipulation. There's a lot of large uh, state actors that you probably know who they are um, 
that do and will manipulate the price as they see fit. And that is just the world we live in. And probably another reason I stay out of oil in general is that there's just so much of that going on. It makes it tricky to do. Well, without a doubt. So there's a lot of that going on. But Jack, I want to shift gears here because to me, one of my favorite indicators on the face of the earth is not something you get in the charts, uh, but it's more of a real life indication of effects of costs of how markets are reacting and oil is a pretty interesting one this time of year we all know fourth of july in the united states is one of the most traveled holidays in the united states um and i happen to live in a very vacation town where a lot of people are consuming oil um, in a lot of different aspects and with it being fourth of july i have all my life said you don't take a boat on the water and for over fourth of july weekend um and why is that? It is beyond dangerous. scary. It is <laughs> yeah. dangerous. Um, I have seen some pretty horrific accidents over uh, my life living here uh, because it's tough. And there's a lot of new boaters out there. Well, this year was a whole different story. I was on the boat every day this weekend. The lake was quiet, relatively. There were not a ton of boats flying through, and there were not a ton of people in town. So that says to me right away, um, maybe they're not concerned about recession, but the cost to get here, the cost to uh, be on the water, were a little bit higher than usual. Yeah. People uh, refrain from uh, spending too much, or they just went and found a spot and sat, as opposed to being out there intertubing and skiing and whatnot. To give you an idea of how Fourth of July is on the uh, high Midwestern seas, I was out on a friend's boat this past weekend on Lake Michigan, uh, the big lake, and we got uh, board- boarded by the Coast Guard. Not for, listen, not for anything nefarious, even though you might hear a siren in the background. Jack's up there with his dog off the front of the boat. <laughs> no, they were just doing like uh, spot checks. I guess they try and like check boats from time to time to make sure you have all the safety gear. Uh, but anyway, they were on there for a while. Here they so, come, Jack. I yep, hear them oh, coming for shoot. you. As Hogue would say, there's my ride. <laughs> Something happened on Milwaukee Avenue. So anyway, we were talking to the Coast Guard guy for a while, and it got to like, it was early in the morning on like the 3rd th- of July or something like that. We asked, like, how, how it was being Coast Guard on the 4th of July. He, I think the exact quote was, uh, it's hell. Uh, last year was absolute hell. I didn't sleep more than six hours for, like, the whole 4th of July weekend. So remember boat safety, everyone. But, Dan, it was kind of quiet there, I will say. I wasn't it, it, would, it was, a dis- it was a, an interesting experience that not just myself, but where I look at this stuff and I think, how does this affect markets? Or, like, where am I, you know, because everything for me relates back to markets. Uh, but other people are saying the same stuff, you know, hey, with oil as high as it is, with gas as high as it is, what kind of effects is it going to have on the water? Which is a, it's a, such an easy visual indicator. You know what it's supposed to be like on any given weekend, especially 4th of July. If you've spent your, you know, like me, I've spent my whole life on this lake um, and I see a huge change. It's pretty drastic. There were empty parking spots at the boat launch. That yeah. is unheard of. On Fourth of July weekend. Well, I can tell you what they weren't doing. They weren't staying at home and hoarding gold to bury in the ground. I thought we'd touch Probably on not. that. Yeah. Yeah, we should uh, we should touch on that because that's been a pretty interesting one, and I know you've got some interesting uh, facts around that one. Yeah. So we always talk about looking at the ten-year yield rate. It's the things you should have in your quote board, right? So if I'm looking at mine right now, I got the major indices. I have the VIX. I have the ten-year Treasury. I have Bitcoin and Ethereum oil, gold, 
and uh, the DXY, which is the dollar index. And so Dan and I were talking before how gold has been such an underperformer given the crazy uh, inflation we've seen because everything we've ever heard about gold is supposed to be protection against inflation, and yet it hasn't been performing. And I was pointing out that that has to do with the strength of the dollar because when you're buying gold with the futures, it's denominated in dollars. And if you open the DXY, take a look at the daily chart for the dollar. And since the uh, beginning of 2022, it has been going gangbusters. It's up about, the index is up mm, about 10%, including just raging the last couple of days. And 10% in an index like that is a lot. All right. We're at a point where that's why you see the, uh, Boris Johnson's nemesis, the euro, is almost a parody for a dollar. I remember going to Europe uh, when I was younger and having a euro be a dollar thirty, a dollar forty. Now they're the same, which is wild. Almost exactly the same, Dan. You were—I don't really look at that as much. Pretty darn close. So that is an issue for if we go zoom out the macro for the economy. There's the give and take of having a strong dollar. Strong dollar means it's really easy to buy stuff from abroad, but it's bad for American producers that are selling stuff abroad because it's expensive. Imports are cheap. Exports uh, to other people are expensive when you have a strong dollar. So that's something that have to keep an eye on. Which it's so it just shows that everyone's experiencing inflation too, right? I mean, there's no way if it was just the United States having inflation, you wouldn't see the dollar strengthening. You wouldn't. Well, and you. You've got to keep in mind, too, when you talk about import versus export, like it sounds great when you you can buy things at a reasonable price. But we have to have a very important balance of imports versus exports. We could talk to George Costanza about this, who was applying for a job at Vandalay Industries as an importer exporter. That's a big one. might have some more information for us, but uh, one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes, Um, good old Vandalay Industries. Yeah. And uh, but no, you have to have an even balance of that. So it's majorly important for our economy to be sending things out just as much as we're sending them in. We did just we can circle it back a little bit to oil. We did just send out some oil, which is kind of interesting. Again, it kind of goes back to you have to read through the the bias on whoever's writing that article and kind of get some information on it. You know, we did just tap our U.S. reserves. Uh, Some oil did go out. Obviously, we retain quite a bit of oil, uh, but once you kind of understand why that oil went out, well, it created uh, f- some money for our refineries to maintain them at the proper capacity uh, for running. They think it was like they want to be around 95%. We're at 94.9% of capacity, so it's kind of important there. And then there's also other regulations that we have in the United States that other countries don't have based off of the oil. So again, if our dollar is getting higher and higher and we're selling things, exports such as oil gets a little bit pricier and so that's again this idea of how price fluctuation happens with the u.s dollar being higher with the selling of our goods and we're trying to export some of this oil to try and bring our oil price you know it's just full circle right vicious cycle when you come down to import export or really everything what you want in the economy i would say more than anything else is not a high stock market or low inflation as much as it is just general stability and we're going through a time now where everything's shaken out with inflation and for instance uh do you know mortgage rates you're looking at places dan or you got a place for now but mortgage rates have uh crashed the most in 
you know, a couple weeks since than they have since the uh, housing meltdown. They're still mm-hmm. high, but they've gotten lower very quickly. And that's the stuff that there's a lot of uh, anxiety right now about sort of the economy and markets in the next year. That's not going to stop until things like that stop happening. People like relative certainty. You can never have certainty. But when mar- mortgage rates are jumping around as much as they are, when gas is jumping around as much as it is, like you shouldn't be in a position, like you said with your truck, where you're like, oh, damn it, when it, you just drive by a different station. So the jury is out, so to speak. We'll see. I'm almost certain. I've said this a few times, but... I'm almost certain now it has to be because of the commodity prices going down. The CPI number is going to be lower. And this is the refrain of the year is what is the Fed going to do? They're maintaining a pretty stiff chin if, if, that they're going to keep on uh, attacking the inflation. But um, we'll see about that. You know? I want to highlight, Jack, something you just said. It's not about perfect stock market it's not about perfect inflation numbers but the stability when things are inconsistent it strikes fear and concern and you don't know where things where you can go if you have stability and you have consistency it allows for planning and we all know as traders as adults you got to be able to plan out you know more than a week Uh, you want to plan your future a little bit and if you have stability it's easier to do that when things are instable Mortgage rates, prime example, you want to go buy a home, you got to get a 30-year mortgage to buy a home, um, but because things are not stable, they're inconsistent, you don't have that stability, it's a little intimidating to go out and buy. So again, consistent circle of effects that these things can have when there is concern and fear out there. That's why the dual mandate of the Fed is price and employment stability. So let's all go out there. That's all I got for today, Dan. So if I bring this one back home. Let's bring it home, Jack. All right. Everybody out there, seek your own stability, whether it's with your trading or whatever else you're doing. And that's why I always say the uh, namaste part at the end, because that's kind of what they say at the end of like the yoga classes. Mm It's just a cool word. So go out there and uh, seek stability. It'll help you no matter what you're doing. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, We'll see if Dan's in the same place. But in the meantime, as I already alluded to, namaste and trade well, y'all. We'll see you later. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the Limit Up podcast, which is a presentation of Top Step. You can check us out at topstep.com if you want to learn more about our programs. We're here every Thursday live on YouTube on the Top Step channel. Until then, have a great one.